You are listening to Forging Employee Experience. I'm Josh Dream, joined here with none other than Alexander Norin. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. None other. I mean, there are a lot of others, though. I mean, you think about it. Like, to be fair to your co-hosting spot, I'm sure there's a lot of people that can do this. Well, you are a very unique snowflake <laughs> in the vast my... ocean of snowflakes. <laughs> That's what my mom always told me. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of people who could probably do this better, today we have a fantastic guest on the show. Uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. I appreciate it. And you should stick with none other. And I think it should be on your business card, your LinkedIn title. I think that's it. The one yeah. that only. Oh, man. Just like, imagine handing a business card to someone and it just said on top, none other than... Uh, this guy yeah basically i'd be asking people to throw the business card away for me Uh, and then somewhere on there just put hashtag humble (laughs) oh man the the worst part is that you know alexander norn's a professional golfer so my identity is always overtaken Uh, so yeah yeah, the, the, the Google search. The good news is no one else has the name Kriegelstein in the world. I still don't know how to spell it. So when you try, yeah, when you Google me and you successfully spell my last name, I dominate that search. And I've dominated it since Google existed. Set up for success from day one. Yeah. yeah. Life lesson, life lesson here, kids. Name your kids unique names so you dominate your Google search. You'll, you'll never have to put extra letters behind your handle or anything yeah. like that. So, well, let's, 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 Let's tell the world about Tom a little bit. He is the founder of SwiftKick, an organization that trains leaders at colleges and corporations on how to build a culture of connection where everyone feels welcomed, connected, and our favorite word, engaged. So tell us a little bit about you uh, here, Tom. I know you're a global speaker. You go into organizations and you in- implement your strategies. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on the podcast. And I love talking with people that know that the word engaged has nothing to do with marriage. uh, Because (laughs) outside of our world, when I say that to people, they're like, you help uh, uh, employees get married together. I'm like, no, 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 no. So appreciate it. That's an interesting side business that maybe we can talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Side hustle. yeah, so thanks for that. So what we do, yeah, we, we, uh, I've been doing uh, Swift Kick for 15 years. I actually started right out of college and tried to become a professional speaker after seeing a speaker do his thing at my college. And I thought it was amazing. And I had a lot of experience with being a student leader super involved on campus. Uh, and I tried and I failed miserably at first. And there's an epic like backstory there of, of getting booed off stage uh, in front of 500 people. Uh, and yeah, I impersonated William Hung from the American Idol. Those of you who are younger can go and Google it and find out who that person was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, um, but then I went and got trained under a program called Quantum Learning Network, which was, uh, which is an accelerated learning program. Tony Robbins helped develop the curriculum for it uh, and was their lead facilitator for three years, traveled all around the world. And that's what leapfrogged me from just being a nobody into having the skill, the experience to deliver programs. Um, I wasn't sure yet, though, what I was delivering on. And as I got more into it, one of the things that, was, that I found was so valuable for me in my college experience was how socially I was connected to the faculty, staff, administration, and my peers. And that was something there. And what I discovered is that that concept of the social connection uh, actually amplifies out throughout college and then translated into Gallup research around the employee experience. 
And that's where the word culture of connection comes from. It comes from a place where you're going to have a rock star experience within an, or you're going to have a team that's going to be a rock star team within a team or an organization uh, if they have a culture of connection where everyone feels welcome, connected, and engaged. And that's what we're, we're preaching to the world, and that's what we're trying to help employees understand is that if they just treat their employees and their clients as a technical number or an operation, then they're going to miss out on uh, creating this culture where they're going to have rockstar employees. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. We talk so much about culture on this show. We think it's such a vital part of the business experience and, right. and creating that, that engaged environment and that, that employee experience. So tell us a little bit about what is the culture of connection? How do you implement it in, in businesses? And, and maybe give us some, some practical advice for some of our listeners. Yeah, so I'm going to take the word culture connection, which is kind of like a consulting term, and pull it into uh, another world, which is originally where it came from. Uh, and we have a training that's our main training called Dance Floor Theory. And at first, when people hear Dance Floor Theory, like they have no, they're like, where is this going? Um, but everyone has some sort of dance floor experience, whether it's at a wedding or at a school or uh, a personal event or something. And for us, what happened was, is many years ago, there was a guy who went into uh, a, a dance club here in New York, and a friend of mine was there, and, and it was a horrible dance, like no one was dancing, and this guy came in and completely changed the environment from one where no one was talking, no one was dancing, no one was connected, to one where everyone was connected, dancing, and having fun. And my friend went up to him and said, how did you just do that? You totally changed the culture of this dance floor. And so this guy, his name is Marcus, he said, come with me. And he brought him to another dance floor and did the exact same thing. And then he did it again and again and again. And that was the beginnings of this concept of dance floor theory. <clears throat> and then we took that and we extrapolated the same concept and realized that any team, any organization is just like a dance floor. And by that, I mean that there's different levels of engagement from those who are super involved doing the, the stanky duggy dab in the middle of the dance floor. <laughs> so the people all the way at the edge who have their arms crossed and they're looking at the people in the middle and they're going, try to get me involved. That's the different levels. And then in between that, there's several levels. We've actually defined them as six levels. And then the next part of that is now that you know there's different levels of involvement within your team or organization, now the level is, now the next step is first identify what that level your person is at, your employee is at, and then feed them the engagement they need at that level to get to the next level. And so we call that in the world of dance floor theory, we call that X plus one, meaning X, find out what level of engagement they're at, and then the plus one is feed them their next level. And then the biggest mistake that most employees do or team leaders do is they treat engagement as a one solution for all. And maybe that worked in the past when we didn't have this individualism, and, and, uh, and, but it doesn't work now. Everyone comes in with their own intrinsic motivations as to why they're here. And so the goal is then find out where they're at, feed them the next level, and rinse and repeat. Mm. So uh, essentially, you are, you are getting these organizations to dance, figuratively speaking, <laughs> uh, by... Yeah. But that, by, that, by taking all those levels of engagement and all of these different intrinsic motivations and saying, we don't, we don't all have to be the same. We all want different things, but that doesn't mean that we can't 
work together. And I love that theory too, because as you were describing it, I'm literally replaying in my mind uh, dance floor experiences that I've had. And I've, I have been there crossing yeah. back and I've been there in the middle of the floor, um, although much less frequently. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, and, and you're right. I mean, there, there is absolutely, absolutely that crossover between, you know, what, what we see kind of in the, you know, just, just for fun dancing around, but uh, also on, on the team, on the team side. Um, I really like, I really like the approach of, of X plus one. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How, how hard is it to get from a, an employee from one level to the next? Um, and how, you know, cause X plus one is good, but I, I would imagine the end goal is to have everybody fully, in, you know, right there in the center. Um, well, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. Now the Gallup poll uh, on employee engagement, they do a U.S. one and a global one. And the global one, the last time they said it was last year. Uh, and, and it was uh, 15% of a workforce tend to be engaged. 67% are not engaged. And then 18% are actively disengaged. Right. And I think that that is the first step that people need to realize is that this is not an equal sphere from engagement all the way to the edge that there's actually, it's not equal circles, equal amount of people. What it looks like if it were a dance floor is you have a tiny number of people in the middle. And in our world, we call those fives, the fully involved people. Okay. Uh, you have a tiny number of people who are engaged, but the majority of your workforce is further towards the wall than you actually think they are. They're either not engaged or they're actively disengaged. And in our world, we call those negative Nellies because those are the ones that are actively scientific. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Those are the ones that are actively talking crap about your workplace and and what you do and what they do. And that's, uh, and that makes up 18%. And so when X plus one comes in is first it's recognize what level a person is and then collectively as your team, your organization, where they're at. But the only way to know that is to know the individual and then feed them their plus one. And as I said before, we have different levels. And I'll just give you the quick levels. Uh, yeah. The first level is that oh, I, the neutrals. These are, the, these are the, they're, they're sitting on the edge with their arms crossed. They're not talking crap. They're just not doing much. Um, if you attached a word that described what was going on in their head, it would be meh. <laughs> from, from, from Homer Simpson. That's what they're at. Uh, then you move to the ones. And these are the people that are looking for the connection, the social connection. They hang around because they, this is like they actually are enjoying the experience here. Not necessarily producing much for the work, but enjoying the experience. Then you move to the twos. These are what we call our, our, our what's in it for me people. These are our free pizza people. They are there because they're getting something for themselves that's very hygienic in terms of a motivator. If you go back to uh, um, uh, Frederick uh, Hertzberg's two-factor theory of employee motivation, then you move to the threes, and these people are now starting to shift away from a job and moving towards a career. Threes and fours are interested in building a career out of the workplace they're in. Uh, And then you get to the fives, and the fives are the top. They're no longer in it for the job, they're no longer for the career, but this has become a calling for them. These are your leaders, these are the ones that go, these are the ones that are looking back and actually helping everyone else out. And a big differentiator, because a lot of people think fours are fives, but the reality is fours are really good at their job, but they do it because they're really good at their job and they're not thinking about the whole. Fives are really good at job and thinking about the whole organization. Mm 
that that's like the pipeline. We call it the engagement pyramid, but it, just look at it from a dance floor. And that's why we use dance floors because it's like, take away the complicated part and just go to a dance floor and you've got the person in the middle and the person at the edge uh, and, the, and the people in the middle and treat them at the level they're at and then feed them that plus one from there. And so, so is the goal to have an organization full of fives? And, and, and is that possible? Because when you talk about fives, right, and you talk about the people that are, that are fully, fully engaged, they, that, are, that are really in there, they have the, the experience, the, the technical know-how, and, and they're seeing the big picture. Um, it, it almost seems like naturally over the course of organizational lifespans and, and you know, you look at companies all over the place, it, it, it seems like those people are just naturally few and far between. Is that how it has to be? Or, or can we get a, a room full of fives? I think it's really hard to find a room full of fives. Uh, realistically, would it be nice to have a room full of fives? I think in small teams, they might be able to do that. But in lar- the larger the team, the larger, larger organization, the better strategy is, is to bend the curve, meaning right. push more people in the direction of five with the negative Nellies, you have to decide, are you going to keep this person uh, or are you going to free up their future? Once you make that decision, then we work them through the process from neutral to one, one to two, two to three, three to four, four, five. Right. Uh, that's, that's the goal. And, and uh, on that note, uh, you asked like, so bend the curve. Uh, there's a Wikipedia study called the 99-1 rule that talked about in Wikipedia that 90% of their people that visit Wikipedia just visit and then disappear, never do anything. Um, and then 9% will, uh, will change one or two things a year. And then 1% of their users do all the heavy lifting of editing. And the goal isn't to get everyone to be a heavy, heavy editor because that's unrealistic. But the realistic goal is bend the curve. Instead of 90 to 9, maybe it's 80 to 18 or something that shifts them closer to the center. And that's what we're doing with engagement is just shift them, move the curve closer towards the five, but still have that pipeline. There's always going to be new recruits coming in that are going to fill that pipeline. And it sounds like, you know, speaking to this, something you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, it's not, it, it's not a one time, Oh, we bumped everybody up a level. Uh, yeah. You know, we did X plus one. Okay. We're good. It, you know, it sounds like it's, it's as, as people come and go in an organization, as the organization, you know, as, as time passes, you're making sure that if it's that constant push of trying to get, get that X plus one, then that's really the organization. That's really what the organization is striving for. Is that right? Just have this constant push to get people just one level more, one level more. And- exactly. And, and, and here's the key is also title does not depict level. There are negative Nellies who are CEOs. There are negative, there are ones who are going meh, 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 who are managers, high up managers. So that's the first thing is like, it's a constant process and life changes can affect and, and, and shift how someone is because if they're stagnant in their job for a while, they may slip backwards or the negative Nellies might get to your ones and then they pull them outside the dance floor. So it's, it's a constant process of constantly checking in on where my people are at how can I support them? How can I keep driving them uh, to bend that curve closer towards five? Yeah, and I, I'm loving this framework. It's kind of fun to, to view it in the context of a dance floor. And, and there are so many factors that go into it. M- much like the, the company culture, there are several things that could 
kill the dance, if you will. Like, what if our DJ doesn't play the right song? <laughs> yeah. or, or what if the balloon arch isn't the right color? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> the, 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 the snacks there just aren't. I got to say, I got to interject. Since we're talking about dance floors, there, I was at this dance one time. It was on a, uh, over a lake. We literally broke a hole in the dance floor and fell into the lake below. Are you kidding? This, that's a real stuff. Really happened. We were jumping up and down. The, the 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 floor was obviously very old, and we didn't fall like fall all the way through. But like legs were getting wet in the water because. <laughs> we so so speaking of the environment in which the, the dance happens, if you can't sustain all those, you know, we were clearly high energy at that particular moment. Oh uh, man! <laughs> Makes you have a sound floor, everybody. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the the question I have is like the the conference planner, the the dance planner, or the person who essentially is in charge of making sure all these elements work. Who, who is yeah. the leader of the organization? What kind of what what kind of training do you offer them, or, or how do you help them within this context start to build that that culture of connection? Yeah, so there's a couple different people that would plug into our world. Um, one of them is the event planner, like I'm hosting a conference um, or I'm hosting a meeting, and we can talk about that and how to how to leverage what we give them to be able to run an amazing conference where everyone at that conference feels connected and engaged, or the meeting, so it's not just another stagnant meeting. Um, and then there's the larger projects where we'll come in and work with the team uh, the sales team or the, the, the organization as a whole and do trainings with the managers on how they can better manage, organize, connect, engage their, whoever their, their team is um, on, on this concept of, of culture connection or dance foot theory. And I, one thing I want to say on the lights, you know, you could talk about the lights and the balloon stuff and that uh, we actually have uh, we, we, in dance foot theory, we talk about this idea where if, it, we have them visualize a good dance versus a bad dance. And, and on a good dance, um, one of the things we, we talk about is that the lighting, the sound and all that, that helps. But you can also have an amazing experience without any of that if you have a core group of people that you're well connected with. Meaning all the extra stuff is secondary to the relationships and the connection between the people on that, on that, it, within that space. And so the relationship is the foundation. Uh, and that's the first rule of dance floor theory is that the more friends you have on a dance, the more fun that dance tends to be and the longer that dance tends to last. Mm. Because if you go to a dance floor and no one knows each other, you can put on the hottest song of the day and chances are very few people are just going to go right out there. The, the crazy extroverts might, but then the crazy extroverts, we have another name for them. We call them, we call them scary sixes. <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones that have an energy level that actually freaks out people because they're so over the top and in any organization sometimes we know those people uh and 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 so the the, the foundation of all this is that the relationships are built uh within within the, the space that these people are in and so, yeah, yeah that, that that sounds that that sounds you've, you've touched on a note here for me because it, you're talking about the relationship here and and what's really important about that I think is that when when you work for an organization sometimes I think it's easy for the leaders to get bogged down with paperwork yeah. or they're they're so busy with pushing the organization forward that they forget that the people who are actually pushing the organization forward are people and 
and if there's no relationship there, then it's really hard to have influence over those employees. And if there's no influence, then there's no engagement. Yeah, that's so true. And I had an experience, and this is it. It is a story I told in my TEDx talk that's somewhere online, if you can spell my last name. And (laughs) in it, I was on a plane, and while I was at the while I was on the plane, I was I needed to fill up my water bottle, so I went to the back where they kind of had this fill up station, and I, I went to fill up my water bottle from their little water jug. And the lady, the, the flight attendant said, oh, no, you can't pour directly into your own cu- uh, jug. You have to use our cup and then pour it. So I was like, okay, that's annoying. But I, did, I started to do that. And then I filled up their tiny cup, poured it in my water. And then I went back to fill up my, that little cup again so I didn't have to waste another cup. But she said, oh, no, 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 you can't use the same cup twice. You have to use a separate cup. So now I'm throwing away this plastic cup, using another cup, pouring it in here, and I'm rinsing and repeating this for like six or seven cups. And I'm just staring at her at this point because I'm so frustrated <laughs> with this process. And what I, what I realize is that in any situation, we're wearing two hats. And one of it's the technical hat and one of it's the human hat. And the technical hat is how do we do this interaction, this exchange by the book? And I'm guessing somewhere she and Emmanuel read for the sake of not spreading germs, you can't let your customers do this and this and this. But what she was missing in that space was the human side of it. The fact that on the other side of this exchange was a human being. And the same is true with managers to employees or employees to clients or employee to employee, uh, is that we wear two hats. And if we only focus on wearing the technical hat, we're missing out on the largest part of what makes an organization successful. And if we're more, if we pay attention to the human hat, the human exchange that's going on, the technical side actually becomes easier. And that's what I think people forget about. And the trick is there's no manual. There's no just, you can't, you can't script how to be human with another human being. It is messy, it's sloppy, it's loose, but by being human with this other person, the technical side of that exchange becomes easier. Mm. The... Um this idea of technical versus human is, is huge, right? Because we've all, we've all been there. You, your example was, was spot on. And I think we've all had some examples like that too in our lives where you're just like, come on, seriously? Like what is happening? Like what training did you just go to that is now making my life as a customer terrible? Um, and the, um, on the organizational side, if I, I you know, you, you can't, well, you can't teach that human, that, that human element if leaders are emulating this correct balance between between the technical and the human elements of any job i think that's where we find success with uh, the employees then being able to customer face and, and to start start really being what they should be you know um all too often you know i've been in numerous work environments where where my boss you know just completely completely and totally by the book everything is this way i once i was working at a place once and and the, uh, the, the, uh, the controller of the company, she said to me, she's like, yeah, I don't know why, but leadership here doesn't like flexibility in your work style. And I just stared at her. I'm like, what do you mean leadership? You are leadership. What are you talking about? You know? And it said, because it was some policy somewhere written down on some piece of paper. And, uh, and, and throughout that organization, it was very clear that you don't, you don't do anything in a way that's not yeah. human as it were, you know? Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I want to I say there, if, if you polled my team and asked them a question, they would absolutely all agree that I love systems. I 
love operations. I love procedures. Right. Like I, li- I, I love it. However, what I've done is I've built in human elements within the systems. And I want to give you an example. Uh, we, I have a one-on-one with, with my directs uh, once a week. And one of the questions during that one-on-one, it's the same set of questions every week, so they know it, I know it. Uh, but one of the questions is, uh, it, we have a core value called open doors, open hearts, meaning the more open, transparent we, with, we are with each other uh, about what's going on, uh, the more effective we can be in supporting each other. And so there's a question that says, in the spirit of open doors, open hearts, is there anything you want to ask or, or tell me? They know every week they're going to have a space where they'll be able to, to, to chat with me about what's going on. Uh, and, and, and from that, then, that, that opens up the human side of it. And I, the number of, of fires that have been stopped because we have that simple question in there uh, is, uh, like, they're countless. And I think organizations would benefit massively if they just opened up and moved away from just metrics and allowed for that human space to come into their systems. Yeah, that, I think that's amazing. I think a lot of times leaders will miss that mark. They have, they, they say that they're being open and they have a really good pulse on employee engagement because they have an open door policy. Just come on by my office if you have any issues and we can talk about it. The thing is, what they don't see is that it, it's not a very comfortable environment. Like it, to come into your office is a little intimidating and you, you never leave and you've never reached out to show us that you care about us. You just say that you have this policy and, and just in mentioning that, like open heart, open mind, let's talk yeah. about it. And, and if you show and prove that you are caring of that individual and you do want to help, then they really will open up. And you're right. You can, you can stop problems before they even start. How many, how many employees are thinking of leaving a company for this one problem that could be solved relatively easy mm-hmm. if there was open communication? Well, so Tom, as we, as we wrap up here today, uh, you know, what, um, as, as we work on, you know, and, and I think everybody uh, to, some, to some degree um, is, is really trying, I, I really believe, you know, people are trying to do, to do right by their employees. Um, maybe just, they're just not quite equipped with, with all the right, uh, tools, um, or, or expertise to do so. So as we, as we, uh, kind of wind down here today, what are some practical, you know, first step, uh, start tomorrow tips that you might give to help, help, um, leaders at all levels of the organization start pushing that X plus one concept. Yeah, I felt like we were just getting started. Why are we finishing? I don't know. I don't understand. Because people have short attention spans. And oh, yeah. Three hour podcast. That's right. That's right. But Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss has many millions of downloads. And he has that's like true. two out. No, I'm just kidding. That's we're not Tim. He's also Tim Ferriss. He's also Tim Ferriss. Exactly. exactly. None other than. Right. He goes. He goes to Japan and does weird things. And, yeah. uh, I should say unique things. Uh, all right. So, what what uh, what is uh, the the tangible actionable steps? I would say the the very first thing that anyone could do is just figure out a way to build into your systems a way to be able to connect with your employees, your team on a human to human level. Uh, and for some people who have never done it before, it's going to be awkward because your employees are going to be like, "Why are you bothering to ask me?" Or if, they're in an, or if they're in an environment where employees are used to showing up, just doing the work, and then going home, it's also going to cause, uh, it's going to be strange at first. However, stick with it, uh, because that, that's going to slowly shift the culture. Uh, another thing I would say is that start to understand what motivates your employees. 
And not everyone is motivated for the same reason. Some people are, a, a great example is, uh, I was working with this faculty at a university and I was talking about intrinsic motivators and hearing examples of people like their why behind their why kind of like motivation. And we went on a break and one of this, this, this woman came up to me and she said, I, uh, I, I really want to share my example of why I'm motivated for this job, but I was embarrassed. And I was like, well, what's your example? And she said, well, I, I'm in this job because of the, the holidays. And I laughed at first because I was like, oh, that's funny. But then I realized if you're like of Christian faith, most universities line up like perfectly with the with those holidays. And so for her, that was a big deal. And I was like, okay, so why why do holidays matter? I said, what were holidays like as a child? And she said, oh, my dad was a truck driver and my mom worked two jobs. There were four of us, so we never were there for Easter or Christmas. And then she had this like light bulb moment where she's like, oh. I didn't have holidays as a child, so I want to have it as an adult. And for my kids, and I work hard here because I get those breaks. Now, if I were her boss and I knew that, that I knew she was motivated at this job because of the holidays, I would structure whatever I could to help her to be able to have amazing holidays. Because then when she comes back to work and crushes, or when she comes back to work and is tired, frustrated, and annoyed, She'll plow through it and work through it because the motivation that's really going to drive her through is because she's going to have an amazing holiday. And that's the thing. If managers were able to figure out on a one-on-one -on -one basis what motivates each employee and fed it to them, that would go so far in terms of creating this culture of connection, increasing the engagement within your workforce. Wow. Awesome. Awesome, Tom. Thank you so much for sharing some of your expertise. Um, how can our listeners keep in touch with you? Yes, here's a great way. Uh, Google Swift Kick, and a couple things are going to show up. One is us, which is great, but then you're also going to see an 80s rock band named Swift Kick that has, <laughs> that's having a revival career. Do not click on them. I warn you now. Uh, focus on clicking on us. <laughs> and, and then the, the third thing is you're going to see teenagers swiftly kicking their friends in the rear, so don't click on those. Click on us. Uh, from there, you'll find us. Uh, you'll find me on all the socials. You'll find Swift Kick on all the socials, and we can be best friends online. Uh, and you'll be connected with none other than Tom Kriegelstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom, it's been it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, you also mentioned that you have a book coming out soon, so we're excited to look for that, and we will keep in touch. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Great talking Thanks, to both of you. Appreciate it.